Welcome to Transatlantic Takeaway by the German Marshall Fund of the United States and Common Ground. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. In our joint monthly episodes, we explore the deeper meaning of key international developments and their impact on Germany and other European Union countries, as well as the United States. Think of it as building on GMF's Out of Order podcast and its Transatlantic Take episodes. So I'm thrilled that Out of Order and Transatlantic Take host, Rachel Tausenfreund, will be joining us each month when we do this. In today's inaugural Transatlantic Takeaway, we will talk about what a new German chancellor, coupled with the French taking over the EU presidency, will mean for the European bloc and the United States. Will the new dynamic ease tensions, or will it lead to even more gridlock? To answer these questions, I'm joined in our Berlin studio by GMF Senior Transatlantic Fellow Suda David Wilp, who is the group's deputy director in the German capital. And as previously mentioned, we're also joined by Rachel Tausenfreund, who is GMF's editorial director. Welcome, ladies. Good to be here, Soraya. Welcome. And Soraya, I'm glad to be doing this project with you. Our other guests are online, and they are Michael Baranowski, the director of GMF in Warsaw, who provides overall strategic direction and leadership for the group's work in Poland, and Martin Kensei, deputy director of GMF's Paris office and a research fellow in its security and defense program. Welcome, gentlemen. It's wonderful to be with you. Happy to be here. Today's discussion is an important one as Germany and the European Union move into a new era, one without Angela Merkel. She defined German and EU policies as well as the European approach to transatlanticism for 16 years. Suda, let's start with the new chancellor, Olaf Scholz. He ran as a continuity candidate and even emulated the Merkel Raute, which is her famous triangular hand gesture. So will this new government be Merkel 2.0? It's very true that um, Olaf Scholz definitely mimicked Chancellor Merkel's style on the campaign trail. And even as a chancellor, I think Schultz can be counted on to have sort of this unfazed game face during crisis situations and to be sort of a calm and reassuring leader for Germany and Europe. But I think the coalition that he's put together is definitely going to strike a different tone for the next four years because this is a coalition that is looking to modernize and transform Germany. So who are the key faces that we're going to see in this German cabinet? And what are sort of the policy changes, if you can elaborate on that? Well, I think the so-called traffic light coalition, which is made up of three parties, the SPD, the center left Social Democrats, the FDP, the liberals and the Greens, do make for strange bedfellows. But as I mentioned before, they're sort of coming together on this theme of modernization. And I guess the key things to look for are really on the domestic front. I think there will be palpable changes there. Uh, They're looking to change really the outlook for the next generation of Germans. They want to lower the voting age to 16. They want to expand the right to citizenship. They want to invest in infrastructure, whether it's digital or also in um, sort of ecological infrastructure to make this a carbon neutral economy. When it comes to foreign policy, I think we'll see more continuity, but it's definitely interesting that there are four women um, in the key portfolios, uh, specifically Annalena Baerbock for uh, the foreign ministry from the Green Party, and then three SPD ministers for defense development and the interior ministry. Rachel, do any of the expected appointees stand out for you as ones to watch and why? So 
I would start with Annalena Baerbock, the new incoming foreign minister, Germany's first female minister. She was the co-chair of the Green Party. She's a very uh, a very dynamic, young, I love it when people call her young because she's my age, uh, <laughs> young politician with a lot of energy, very engaged in foreign policy um, you know, ideas. She's been someone who's been thinking about the international stage for a while and combining it with green ideas, a sort of international, ecological, but also human rights focused uh, foreign policy is very much her vision. Um, and she was on the campaign trail, the one, you know, pushing for this idea of Germany needs to be more progressive, needs to be different. So if she's going to be somebody to watch. What we're going to need to watch there is how much room Olaf Scholz and the other three SPD uh, ministers that Suda mentioned are going to give her to really shape German foreign policy. Um, this is an open question. She's bringing a lot of energy. Um, we're just not sure if she's going to be able to channel that energy and get the room to make things happen. The second person I would point to and I would say she's a bit of a wild card, is Lambrecht, Minister Lambrecht, who's been announced to be uh, the new head of the defense ministry. She is currently uh, the minister of justice in the government. She's a social democrat. And she's a well-known person in social democrat circles, but she is not a well-known foreign policy person. So it's hard to say exactly what kind of defense ministry she's going to be. She probably has a close relationship with Schultz. She worked with him at the finance ministry. That's probably going to be helpful. She has a reputation of being very competent, very sort of organized. So she might uh, lead that very chaotic ship well, but it's hard to know in what direction she's going to want to take it. So I would watch Baerbock to see if she'll go in the direction she has said she wants to go in and Lambrecht to see which kind of direction she's going to choose. Those two are the ones um, I'm curious to watch. Do you think that the German electorate is on the same page as this very unique coalition that's come together in terms of what foreign policy should be, Rachel? I mean, I think so. You know, the word on the coalition or the, the slogan for the coalition was to dare more progress. And in the end, there was, you know, a left of center majority. We had a lot of young voters um, electing a lot of young parliamentarians. So I do think there is room in Germany um, for some change. Germans get scared then easily. Um, so we'll see if they change their mind. But I think at the moment, there was and is an appetite for change. Michael, how are Poland and other EU countries that are not always necessarily aligned with Germany or the wealthier bloc states viewing this government change in Germany? In Poland, there are basically two different camps. On one hand, there is a fair amount of apprehension in the governing circles, in the governing coalition, mainly because Poland had mixed, uh, especially under more conservative governments, had mixed experience with SPD-led governments when it comes to policy toward Russia, when it comes to policy toward Europe. And right now, we are at a time where the new government will be very much tested by Putin and, uh, and what's happening on the border with Ukraine. The government is also very concerned about something that has not gained as much attention elsewhere, and that's uh, about a commitment written in the coalition document to turn EU into a more federal union. And especially the chairman of the governing party uh, sort of emphasized this as a, as a statement that surely means uh, that uh, Germanys will try to make EU into a federal state which is, I think, not exactly shared by lots of other observers. 
uh, there is much more enthusiasm for the coalition uh, in the opposition that sees the new government as a boost for EU. Uh, there is also this, frankly, couple issues that have not materialized that were worrying from the Polish perspective. From a security perspective, there was a quite a bit of a debate that we have seen in the negotiations over Germany's role in nuclear sharing. Just to explain, Germany is part of a NATO's uh, nuclear sharing capabilities, which means uh, Germany's planes are able to carry nuclear weapons, which basically means that Germany has an important role within the NATO alliance. But what came out uh, very strongly in the coalition agreement is that Germany will maintain this role. So this is on the good side. So overall, I would say quite a bit mixed picture and the closer you are to the governing party, the more concerned you are about some of the future direction of this of this coalition. But isn't it true that the chairman of the ruling party really holds this new German government in disdain? Well, it's true that Chairman Kaczynski is very much seen as someone who has very negative views of Germany as a whole. And with this particular new government, there is especially the focus on the push for greater European integration, leading to what the chairman would imagine to be a, a single country. And that's why he really talks about the new government in a very uh, derogatory uh, way, explaining, sort of emphasizing the great power that Germany have over the rest of Europe. But just as a follow-up question to you, Michael, is this an opportunity for Poland and other Visegrad group countries to hold more sway when it comes to developing EU policy? It could be, but I don't think it will be. <laughs> I think, uh, unfortunately, I would say that this is a potential for a new opening, uh, but I don't think this is going to materialize uh, if we are to look at what the debate over the last couple of weeks here in Warsaw looked like. Um, and unfortunately, there is not a good new opening. There is so much uh, baggage right now, uh, in a, especially in the Polish-German relationship. It's really hard to say that there is a uniform relationship across the Visegrad, because Czech Republic and Slovakia have much closer relationship with Germany and also with the new German government. But there were very strong voices of, uh, of really... Um, not only criticism, but bringing really some of the historical baggage that, that dominated the debate over future government in Berlin when it comes to debate in Warsaw. So, Martin, what about France? President Emmanuel Macron has certainly made no secret of his interest in making his country more pivotal in EU and transatlantic policymaking. So is he going to try to strong arm the Scholz government? Or do you see the Franco-German friendship continuing as it's been? Well, I think the response uh, from President Macron and, and the people around him uh, has been very positive after the announce of the new coalition. Uh, first, because there was obviously a risk for France not to have a coalition to work with as we, we enter uh, the French presidency of the EU. But also even in, on the content of the coalition compact, uh, the French government and officials have tried to find uh, reasons to be optimistic that they can work with the new German government and that in fact the vision 
behind uh, the new German coalition very much resembles the one that Macron presented at the beginning of his uh, mandate uh, during the Sorbonne speech. They underline the fact that this is a pro-EU coalition and that on matters of European strategic sovereignty, France and Germany will be able to work together. Now, obviously, there are a few question marks on foreign and defense policy, on energy policy, also on on fiscal uh, reform at the EU level, where um, France wants to see perhaps uh, a compromise uh, with the new coalition. There, There are still differences in the way Germany and France sees EU reform. And so we'll have to see how flexible uh, the new coalition is to give Macron uh, what he wants before the presidential election uh, next April and May. So there is a question of timing. There is a hope that even on issues where we don't necessarily see eye to eye, we can work together. And there is a desire to work quickly with the new coalition. Personality-wise, though, are we going to see the kind of chemistry between Macron and Schultz that we saw between Merkel and Macron? Well, I think we shouldn't make too much of the chemistry between Macron and, and Merkel to begin with. Uh, obviously, President Macron is someone as a leader who, who truly uh, uh, believes in, in personal interactions with his interlocutors, but uh, uh, we, we should not uh, make too much out of it because the structural differences, the political differences uh, uh, remain, uh, despite the fact that uh, as leaders, they seem very close to each other. So um, I, I wouldn't you know, focus too much on this. Uh, however, what I understand is that uh, Macron sees the new German chancellor and, and the different ministers around him as pro-European. And that is what matters in the coming months for him, because it's the beginning of the presidency of the EU, but also because this will be an important point to make during the presidential campaign. And he wants to show to the French population that Europe can deliver. So anything that comes from Berlin that can be called a win by Emmanuel Macron will be seized that way. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to delve more into what's happening in France, which is taking over the EU presidency next month during what amounts to a contentious election year there. Stay tuned. I'm Verena Hütter, host of The Big Ponder, the Goethe Institute's transatlantic podcast, bringing abstract concepts to life through personal radio essays. Every other week, our producers turn broad topics into captivating stories told from a U.S. and German perspective. You can find all episodes of The Big Ponder on our website, goethe.de, as well as on your favorite podcast apps. And discover the stories behind The Big Ponder on our radio show, Sounding the Big Pond. It is broadcast each Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on WPFW 89.3 FM in Washington, D.C. We do look forward to connecting with you. I'm Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, the host of Common Ground. And I'm Dina El Sayed, the senior producer. Each week, we bring you a new lively discussion on a hard hitting topic. If you want to learn more about our podcast, check out our website at commongroundberlin.com. The episodes are free to download, but they aren't free to create. Common Ground depends on grants as well as donations from listeners like you. So if you want to help us out, please click on the donate button at commongroundberlin.com. And thanks for listening.
I'm Rachel Tausenfreund, one of the hosts of the German Marshall Fund's podcast, Out of Order. Join our conversations with leaders and experts on what the dark side of tech does to democracy, how the pandemic shapes geopolitics, and other topics of global order and disorder. You can find our episodes and miniseries at gmfus.org or wherever you find your podcasts. We are the German Marshall Fund of the United States, strengthening transatlantic cooperation since 1972. Welcome back to Transatlantic Takeaway by the German Marshall Fund of the United States and Common Ground. My guests are GMF's Suda David Wilp and Rachel Tausenfreund, and they are in our Berlin studio. Online, we are joined by GMF's Michael Baranowski in Warsaw and GMF's Martin Kensei in Paris. Martin, let's start with you. What are France's goals with this EU presidency, and are they achievable given election tensions at home? Um, so the problem here is that in the middle of the presidency, there are elections, presidential elections in France, meaning that instead of a six-month presidency, you may only have a three-month window for uh, President Macron to invest politically in the presidency and to get reforms done. After that, uh, you will not be able, obviously, to, to invest as much political capital, as much time into uh, European affairs, and so the bureaucracy will take over. So between January and March, what France wants to do is first to show to the French population that many of the initiatives, many of the promises that were made during the Sorbonne speech at the beginning of the Macron presidency did get implemented and that the Macron legacy of the five years is one where the EU has been reformed, where uh, European strategic autonomy or strategic sovereignty has been strengthened, and that on, on many important issues, so energy, migration, digital reforms, fiscal solidarity, there is something to show. Uh, the second thing is there will be a, a couple of important summits during the very first trimester of next year, one on digital, another one on defense, uh, probably uh, one on energy and climate that uh, will be important for France to show that there's also leadership coming from Paris with new ideas. So um, it's both sort of taking stock of what has been done for the past five years and sort of creating a new momentum with new ideas for the next five years. But even so, it's a pretty tough campaign season in France right now. I mean, why is this election season in France so tough for the mainstream parties? The election in France now, in a way, has only started. So it's really the very beginning. We don't still, we don't have the programs of the different parties. Uh, the, the candidates of the mainstream right-wing party has just been announced so um, I would say that we were in a kind of pre-election mode right now. And to be fair, it hasn't been extremely interesting in terms of content. And so we'll have to see what comes next. What is interesting, if you look at the, the political landscape in France and looking at the polls, is that you have about a quarter of the population that is planning to vote for President Macron. That remains kind of stable. Whatever has happened over the past six months, we're always around 25%. Then you have another quarter of the population that goes to parties that are to the left of the president, and 50% that goes to parties that are to the right of the president. So the main uh, sort of takeaways of the past few weeks is that 
the political landscape is definitely more to the right than the one uh, in 2017, and that we will see how President Macron will have to adapt his own messaging to this new landscape. Will he embrace some of the ideas, some of the proposals that are made by the candidates of the right or even of the, extre- of the far right because he feels that the population is going that way? This is a, a sort of a question mark. And on European issues, you could also imagine that Macron will be less of a let's say, um, pro-EU in the way it was in 2017. And then I come back to what Michael was saying at the beginning about the Polish concerns with, with regards to the mention of a federal state in the coalition compact. This is also a concern in France, and it would be a concern for Macron as well. He doesn't want to have a, a German partner that pushes for a more federal EU. There's nobody in France to work on this. So he would rather probably find something a bit less ambitious. And there is a risk that Germany will be perceived as the new leader of EU integration in that way. Rachel, you have a question, I think. Yeah, I was um, wondering what you were saying, Matin, about, um, you know, a lot of space to the right of uh, Macron and the German government coming in. You know, one of the things they've also signaled mainly in domestic politics, is a different view of migration, migration policy. They're signaling a lot more openness there, um, you know, maybe allowing dual citizenship, which is for Suda and I interesting. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> Speak but, for yourself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so the German government is signaling some openness there. Uh, but migration is already obviously a big issue in France and in the French election, um, and then marry that with what we saw at the Polish border with Belarus. I'm just wondering, is there space for something around migration um, in the beginning of the EU presidency with Germany? Or should Germany try to avoid it? Is this going to be a very big problem for France? So I'd say that Macron always wants to confront problems and not you know, shy away from them. So there is an issue with migration and there will be uh, appetites from the president to confront it during the presidency. The problem is for the new German coalition, uh, this will probably not be uh, in terms of more open policies. There's no political constituency in France for such reform. There is uh, a strong uh, appeal for stricter uh, policies and the whole concept of Europe that protects, this slogan that Macron has been using for the past five years, now is, is more and more translated uh, into migration policies that sort of Europe that protects you from migration. So I would say that there will be a space for discussions, but perhaps not in the way that the German coalition wants to. Michael, let me ask you about Poland and how the ruling party there sees the rightward tilt of France on terrorism, insecurity, immigration, and identity politics. I mean, is this a chance to end up with a like-minded or a more like-minded powerful ally within the bloc? I think in the governing circle, yes, the answer is that there is a hope for more like-minded president coming up from the next presidential election, though actually President Macron has been quite pragmatic when dealing with Poland uh, led by law and justice. Needless to say, though, um, that the the favorite candidate uh, that was just hosted by Prime Minister Morawiecki and the chairman of the ruling party here was Marine Le Pen. Uh, It was not also the first meeting, it was at least the second meeting of the Prime Minister with 
Marie Pen, there was a larger meeting of Eurosceptics uh, in Warsaw just past weekend. The government here would like to see Europe, there is a Europe made of sovereign independent nations, something that is quite opposite of the view of uh, the vision of uh, federal united Europe that maybe sort of in exaggeration is portrayed by the coalition agreement. It's also Marie Le Pen is, of course, the most extreme, uh, perhaps one of the most extreme, but not the only candidate in France that is seen in positive terms in uh, in Warsaw. There has been also quite a bit of support from the right part of the political spectrum in France to the recent decision of the Polish Constitutional Tribunal that emphasized the primacy of Polish law over or Polish constitution over EU law. Uh, something that was seen by uh, the right-wing candidates in France as something I believe Macron can comment, but something that France could support in the future. So, um, yes, the hope in Warsaw in the governing circle is that the political spectrum in France will tilt to the right as a sort of a response to the recognition that the political spectrum in Germany tilted to the left. So if that happens, are we going to end up with a more muted EU criticism of Polish attacks on uh, the media, Polish attacks on the judiciary, Polish attacks on civil rights and abortion and that sort of thing? I mean, is this something that could mute that criticism and potentially even court rulings? Well, I think this is a good question to France in many ways. I think the expectation right now in Warsaw is given the the political colors of the current German government is that we will see more of this criticism uh, coming out of the EU as a whole. Um, in, in fact, there is a there is a fair level of alignment not only between Germany and the rest of the EU. Um, Chancellor Merkel, in many ways, has been the politician who has been uh, insisting on being uh, gentle toward the current Polish government. But there is also a transatlantic alignment um, between Germany and and the US on the importance of liberal values, uh, the values of the alliance with the big emphasis on the rule of law, uh, human rights, freedom of the media, and democracy overall. And that is something that is seen in Warsaw in the current government as a political pressure on the government. So. Perhaps, but not just yet uh, when it comes to lessening of those pressures coming from Brussels and increasingly also from Washington. I'm going to um, put the last two questions to Suda and to Martin, um, and I'm going to start with Suda here. Let's circle back to Germany. Is this new German government going to give the Biden administration a boost in transatlantic relations? Or will Chancellor Schultz want to stray even further from already frayed relations with the United States on issues like uh, NATO spending. So Olaf Scholz has been very clear that the transatlantic relationship is a um, steadfast pillar in German foreign and security policy. And I do think that the two can come together as sort of left of center leaders on realizing that in order to stand up to those values, those democratic values in foreign policy, they also have to make democracy work at home. 
And I think there's a lot of um, common ground on that side of the ledger. And I do want to also sort of push back on my colleague's idea that this coalition is a center-left coalition, which it is, but we also forgot to talk about the role of the FDP. And sort of one spoiler is Christian Lindner, the incoming finance minister, because he actually got away with a lot during the coalition agreement. He got all his wishes on the list. Um, No increase in taxes, no softening of the debt break. And when it comes to making a more cohesive Europe or a federal Europe, I think that there will he will be a stickler um, on the financial front when it comes to having sort of mutual debt. So he's certainly pro-European in the way that the FDP has always been. But I don't see, you know, sort of visions of uh, one Europe in um, maybe there is a fear in, um, you know, Paris and Warsaw probably actually more disappointment in Paris that it won't be likely to have mutualized debt with a Christian Lindner as finance minister. But back to the transatlantic relationship, I mean, so there is a meeting of the minds when it comes to seeing democracy as sort of the North Star for foreign policy. But I think that President Biden is going to continue to see Germany as sort of the indispensable partner in Europe on a variety of fronts, whether it's sort of checking Russia and the hope is that Germany will be um, a staunch ally with the United States and the rest of Europe when it comes to uh, making sure that Russia does not, you know, have further military incursions with the Ukraine, when it comes to making sure that China plays by the rules of the road on the trade front. And then, of course, technology and climate are also going to be key issues for the Biden administration. They're going to want to have Germany be a uh, partner on this in this area as well. Martin, what about France? I mean, if the projections come to pass and there is this rightward tilt that follows through on Election Day, is this going to help or hurt the Biden administration and Franco-American relations? Well, so far, the different candidates have obviously not uh, said anything about foreign policy. What, what we can say is that if there is a tilt to the right, it will not affect foreign policy as much as perhaps European policy or, or domestic policy. So I wouldn't necessarily link uh, the future of the French-U.S. relationship to uh, the tilt to the right of, the, of a new Macron government or the election of a right-wing candidate. I'm obviously not uh, considering here the election of a far-right candidate, which would obviously have major implications. But on the two points that were also made by my colleagues before, I think it is true that at the European level, we've seen from the different candidates of the right a tendency to support Poland in the feud, in the dispute on the rule of law and on the primacy of constitutional law. And the only two candidates or the two leaders in France who've uh, sort of opposed Poland and supported the position of the Commission were the leader of the Greens and Emmanuel Macron. All the others, right or left, have said that in the French case, the French constitution does have primacy over EU law. So this is a debate that has been sort of imported uh, from Poland to France and may come back during the campaign. Um, The second point was on the question of working with the liberals and with Christian Lidner. It is true that on on fiscal solidarity, there is a risk that a finance minister in Germany who has sort of an orthodox view of these matters is not good news for France. But the reaction in France is that they believe Lidner not to be an ideologue. 
they think he's a pragmatic person with whom they can work and that they will find a compromise. And the first signals um, coming from Berlin, the support to um, go forward with banking union, were perceived very positively here in Paris. The two other issues that are a bit more contentious and perhaps less, there's less optimism here, one is nuclear energy and the second one is uh, the issue of defense exports. Uh, on these two matters, uh, what we've heard from Berlin so far has triggered some concerns in Paris. Obviously, the, the new role of, of observer uh, the nuclear ban treaty, something that France is very openly against, thinking that it will give more credibility to the ban treaty and perhaps create a momentum that will help some of the civil societies here in France to oppose uh, nuclear energy. And obviously, on, on the question of the, of the energy taxonomy, that will be discussed in the coming months, whether nuclear energy should be integrated in this classification. So these are the matters where I see reasons to see new tensions between Paris and Berlin. But on the fiscal uh, solidarity, I've heard rather positive uh, messaging here. Can I actually add something, Soraya? I mean, the one thing that's really interesting about this coalition agreement, the beauty of this coalition agreement, is that it's sort of broad and flexible because we have to remember that this was written in order to appeal to the base of each of the three parties. But um, I do think that it gives the future government the room to also um, go with the goals that they think are best for Germany. Yes, they want to be an observer at the Nuclear Ban Treaty Conference, but they also realize that they need to make an investment on the next generation of the tornado carriers in, in order to be a part of the nuclear umbrella in Europe. So I do think that at the end of of the day, this new German government will stick to its pillars of a strong Europe and a strong transatlantic relationship. Excellent discussion, but unfortunately, we'll have to leave it there for time. Thank you to our guests in our Berlin studio, GMF Senior Transatlantic Fellow Suda David Wilp, who is the group's Deputy Director in Berlin, and GMF Editorial Director Rachel Tausenfreund. Thanks also to our online guests, Michael Baranowski, Director of the GMF in Warsaw, and Martin Kensei, who is Deputy Director of GMF's Paris office and a research fellow in its security and defense program. Thank you so much all for being here today. Thanks. Thanks Yay, for thank us. you, Soraya. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Common Ground and GMF's Transatlantic Takeaway. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. Common Ground senior producer is Dina El Sayed, and our social media editor is Stefano Montali. GMF's Out of Order is hosted and produced by Rachel Tausenfeind. Common Ground is made possible through a grant administered by the German Ministry for Economic Affairs and Energy. Our partners are the Goethe Institute and, of course, the German Marshall Fund of the United States. All Common Ground and Out of Order episodes are available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to also check out our respective podcast websites, commongroundberlin.com and gmfus.org.